We are in the middle of our songs, our Psalms song series, and uh, which is a bit of a tongue twister, actually. And, um, and we are loving this. Can I just let you know, though, that we want to be in prayer for our pastor. He's here this morning, but he is taking the next few weeks, and he is going to be doing some intensive directed study and just praying over our church and what God wants to tell him for us. So be in prayer about that. You'll see some other people up on stage over the next few weeks, but know that he is here. He is available. He's not like checked out of life and he's not too busy to uh, answer something or to meet with you if you need that. We just want you to know that. But this morning, we're going to hear from Pastor Jeff. And so before we get into that, settle back for our next Psalms song. I could not ask for 
Wow, that's fabulous. I love that so much. That's so good. Um, well, as Pastor Janice mentioned, my name is Jeff. I'm the assistant pastor around here. And uh, one of the things we always talk about around here is how uh, a lot of us have in our job description uh, other duties as assigned by pastor, which means that um, I get to do a number of things, including get my own sandwich. That's okay. Um, but there we are. And so a lot of times I just do whatever I need to do. I go where I'm told to go and I get to play music a lot around here, which is really fun. But what that means for me is that every time around this year, as soon as we get into Psalm songs, if Pastor Joe gives me a week, I go into, into this internal crisis because honestly, if I, if I like a song enough to want to preach and have them play it, I also really want to sing it because I'm a musician and that's just what I want to do. So that was hard for me to decide. However, uh, that song that you just heard is like my favorite love song of all time. I didn't realize it until about two or three weeks ago when I chose it. But the, the problem is I cannot, like literally cannot get through it without choking up just a little bit. Like, I don't know what it is because clearly um, Edwin McCain, who wrote the song, and it's not a Sarah Evans song. I, hopefully I'm not the only one who thought, like I grew up thinking this was a Sarah Evans song, but she just did a cover as I found when I searched for the song on Spotify. Anyway, uh, Edwin McCain, clearly he's a quality time guy. If you're into the love languages, clearly what's meaningful to him is being together in the same place. Uh, and I don't necessarily like, receive that love language, but I've had to learn to give it over the last few years. Uh, but all the same, it works out perfectly because I would not have made it through that song, but they did a fabulous, fabulous job. Anyway, uh, I love that song because it makes me ask questions of, of two areas of my life. The first one being my marriage, because very clearly it's a love song. Uh, and the second one, it does make me think about my relationship uh, to God. And, and just so you know, we're not, it, today's message is not a message about marriage, okay? Because for me personally, the way that I read the Bible, the Psalms are from humanity to God, not about humanity to each other. So it's not a marriage message, but this is a message about what am I asking for and expecting from my relationship to God? Am I choosing to let the relationship be enough, Am I saying, Jesus, you're enough. I, I will take what you give me. You are my treasure. Or am I saying, Jesus, thank you for becoming a man. Thanks for coming down. Thanks for being sinless. Thanks for dying on, on the cross on my behalf. Now, could you do X, Y, and Z for me? Whatever that looks like. So today, I want to go with you to Psalm chapter 73, where we're going to read a prayer from a fellow named Asaph. And while you're turning there, uh, Psalm 73, that is, as you're turning there, um, Asaph is, uh, is a fellow who David put in charge of leading worship in the temple. Uh, Asaph is a Levite. You can read a little bit more about him in 1 Chronicles chapters 6 and 16 is where you can find out a little bit about Asaph. But uh, this is not one of the majority Psalms of David. Uh, this is in fact a Psalm of Asaph. So as we go there, Psalm 73, we're going to read verses 21 through 26. And we're going to look at what Asaph says to God in this. So he writes, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
Now, so this is Asaph's song. This is, the, this is what Asaph lifts up in a song to God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, what Asaph says here is something that you, a lot of us would struggle to say with a great deal of sincerity. Okay? Because as we think about our lives, there are so many things that we love, right? I mean, we have hobbies that bring us a great deal of joy. We have families and friends that we care deeply about. We have interests that we invest lots of time and energy in. We have work that hopefully you find fulfillment in. We have, uh, hopefully, we have money that, that works for us and buys us things. And we have cars that take us places. And some of them do so really quickly if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, there's amazing food that we can eat of all different variations and cultures. There are beautiful places around the world that we can travel to. There are movies and books and games that will tell us a great story and let us experience some escapism. And then there are pets. You know what I mean? Like who has a pet? Pets are the greatest, right? So what's the deal? What's Asaph's deal? Does Asaph have something figured out that we don't have figured out? Did did Asaph not have a dog? Did Asaph not drive a car? I mean, Asaph didn't drive a car, spoiler alert. But all the same, what is it about that, that he can pray that? Okay, so if you, if you are like me, if you're a little bit cynical, you, you read this and your mind goes to one of two places. Either on the one hand, Asaph must be wicked, wicked holy and have this whole entire thing figured out and I need to figure out what's his secret. Or on the other side, you look at a prayer like this and you say, dude, I don't care what you say, you are full of it. I know there has to be things that you love more than God. Okay. Now, personally, I find the second one a little bit more likely. However, the point here is not to throw Asaph under the bus and to to disqualify his entire prayer, because here's the deal. The reason we pray, the reason that we worship, the reason we gather together and lift up songs to God is not for us to boast and to show off and showcase how good of a job we're doing of loving God. In fact, the opposite is often true because what happens is as we worship, as we lift up songs of praise and we magnify who God actually is, somehow that draws attention to all the ways in which you and I are missing the mark, which then reminds us of just how great, just how gracious and merciful God is to us, which then makes us worship even more. So it's not about saying, hey, I'm doing really good at this. In fact, a lot of times, We sing the songs or pray the prayers in an effort to lead our hearts because our hearts are not already there. We don't wait for our heart to go to a place of worship. We lead our heart to a place of worship. So sometimes that means that we're going to be singing songs of praise even when we're not feeling all praise and worshipy. Okay? Now, I tend to be of the mind that a a simple prayer or worship song, however you want to do it, however you want to say it, if I go up to you or if I say in a worship song, I love you, Lord. If I say those four words or those three words of I love Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, about it this way. But to me, that's a really, really vulnerable thing to say. It's kind of a risky thing to say. And I'll, I'll explain why. When someone says, I love you, they can say it all they want. But it is the person on the receiving end of love who gets to authenticate that. It's the person who's receiving the I love you that knows whether or not it's true. If I say to my wife, I love you, or if I tell you I love my wife, but I am not doing things to show her that I love her, if I am not, uh, um, if I'm not spending time with her, if I am not uh, providing for her, if I'm not caring for her, if I'm not doing things to help her dreams and desires come true, then she can say, actually, no. Like, practically speaking, 
No, that's not love. You can say I love, but, but love is what you do. So in the same way, I can say till I am blue in the faith that I love God. But at the end of the day, it's God who decides if that's true or not. Okay, so we sing worship songs like, like Chasing After You, like we sang this morning. And dude, I just, I get to a place and I'm like, Lord, I really hope this is true about me. I really hope this is how you see me. Because I do, I, I, like internally, I want to follow where you lead. I want to do these things. But there's that whole Romans 7 thing where Paul lays out like the things I want to do, these are the things I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, these are the things that I do. And that's the internal struggle. But here's the bottom line. If I love him, I will keep his commandments. That's what Jesus said. He said it in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, on one hand, that's really cut and dry, right? I can say I love Jesus if I'm doing the things that he told me to do. But on the other hand, I'm of the mind that that's a little bit less than like super, super, super clear. Because I don't know about you, but one day I'm doing the stuff you know what I mean? Like one day I'm going and, and I've, I've got the time, I've got the effort, I've got the energy, I've got the, the emotional capacity, and I'm going to go volunteer at the food pantry, or I'm going to go buy somebody lunch, or I'm going to go lay hands on somebody and, and pray for them. But then the next day, because I'm human, I'm not feeling that way. And so I bury my head in the sand and I hide away from the world and I don't want to do those things. So it's my opinion, and it is just my opinion, and it is just my opinion, that I don't think we were ever really supposed to be able to accurately measure how much that we love God. We have ways of knowing how much God loves and cares for us, but I can't really measure or quantify how much I love God. And I think that's because if you're like me, you're like, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this, check, I've loved God today. I've done the stuff that God wants me to do. But it's not a, a checklist. It's a lifestyle that we are led to lead. Okay, so let's turn back to the passage and the question at hand. Now, before I go there, let me just say, um, because it, it just clears my own conscience, okay? Anytime that I uh, am, am responsible for preparing a message, I take the text, I put the message together, and then sometimes at the very, very, very last minute, I realize, wait, we could have gone that way, but I'm going this way. And so real quick, before I go this way, I just want to say that we could have gone in the direction of like all the things that you as a follower of Jesus get to receive and get to inherit. Like forgiveness of sins, like the, the indwelling Holy Spirit, like resurrection power that we get to experience. We could have gone that way. I just want to let you know that's not where I'm headed today. I'm heading in a different direction. I am asking a question for us to consider, okay? If you're someone who believes in Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, then how is it that we can say that we love God more than anything else? How can you say that for your own life? And I don't mean that like, how can you say that? No, I mean like, like, how do I get to a place where I can say that sincerely, truly? What are the things that get in the way of me loving God? And how do I navigate those things? What are the priorities that I need to reevaluate if I want to in conscience, in, in good conscience say, there's nothing I desire besides God, I could not ask for more. Okay, so as we do around here, we're going to go down. I want to make three points and share those with you today. So first of all, a love for your life is secondary to a love for God. Loving God comes first. Now, I truly, like 100% fully believe that God gave us loads of things to enjoy and he wants you to enjoy them. Okay, I believe that things like 
art and music. Um, recently, I was at the, the Madison Central production of Beauty and the Beast, and it was really strange because this has never happened to me before. But uh, we were in the middle of the play, and they were doing one of the numbers, and I just had this weird moment of like, they're, they're sitting here singing, be our guest. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like, this is incredible. Like, there's something about live music that is an unbelievable gift. Anyway, art, music, sunrises, sunsets, a good story, a good game, uh, the, the, the satisfying feeling and view and smell of when your lawn is freshly mown. I believe that's a gift. I believe tasty food, delicious drinks, good friendships, marriage, sex, children, travel, the vastness of the world that you and I live in. I believe that those things were all given to us for us to enjoy, okay? But there is a right way and a wrong way to enjoy them. I believe that when in the garden, when God said, fill the earth and, 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 and inhabit it, that's exactly what he had in mind. I don't believe that just because something's good means it must be forbidden, okay? I believe that God gives us good gifts, but it is possible to love your life too much. If you come to this church on a regular basis, you, you know that around here we say staying on the planet is not the goal. In other words, I'm not preoccupied with the idea that I absolutely have to live to be 90 or 100 or whatever, you know, whatever that looks like. But the question that I want to ask of myself is how can I have the greatest impact in the time that I have been given? How do I make my life count? So with that in mind, it ought to be that we hold all of our pleasures, all the things that we enjoy with open hands, ready and willing when the time comes, if God says, I need, you to, I need to take that from you, I need you to give that over to me, and I need you to do what I want you to do. If that day comes, we need to be ready for it, okay? Now, I've got to admit to you right here and now that half the time when I feel anxious, I'm feeling anxious because I might not get to something that I really, really, really want to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm anxious that something's going to take me away from the more enjoyable, less boring, less consequential, less stressful, less complicated thing that I would rather do. But in my brokenness, all I want to do is what's safe, what's fun, and what I find exciting. But somewhere in there, I'm reminded of what Jesus taught to a whole entire crowd of people. Now, it's in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 8. If you want to go there, we'll get there in a second. But, but this comes after uh, Peter has rebuked Jesus for saying that the Son of Man must suffer. And then Jesus comes back and he rebukes Peter. And then Jesus shares this with the entire crowd. And this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus says right there, if anyone wants to come after me, deny himself. He has to deny himself. So when was the last time you denied yourself? When was the last time you really wanted something? When was, the, when was the last time that you said, I really want to go here, or I really want to do this, or I really want to eat this, or watch this, or whatever that looks like, and you just said no to that? I think we could all stand to, to practice denying ourselves a little bit more. I mean, I'll speak for us. I, I definitely, definitely could stand to practice that more. But I think that's one of the, uh, the, one of the practical um, um, benefits of practicing fasting. Okay? Because in fasting, 
You, you, you have a desire, you have a thing that you want, you want to eat food, right? But you are consciously, actively, like it's right there in your face. You're saying, no, I'm not going to do that right now. That is not what I'm doing right now. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we, we praise people, we exalt people, we write movies and, and uh, uh, like biopics and biographies about people who like know what they want and they know how to get it. You know what I mean? Like that is, that is, a, that is a badge of honor in our culture, right? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but here's the deal. I, I don't tend to think that that is a specifically, distinctly kingdom trait. If the idea of, of, of discipleship is looking more like Jesus, I would personally sooner describe Jesus as somebody who was in tune with what the Father wanted and was willing to say yes to the Father and say no to himself than I would describe Jesus as somebody who just knew what he wanted and knew how to, got it, how to get it. Right? If the thing that I want stands in the way of the thing that God wants me to do, if I'm truly going to say that there's nothing on earth I desire beside you, if I'm truly going to say I could not ask for more than God himself, then I have to be willing and able to say no to that thing and yes to God. If you look in the book of Revelation, you find that the, the brethren overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because, do you know it? They did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they were not so preoccupied with living and living as long as possible that they let life get in the way of what God wanted them to do. So what about you? The demands of following Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Are you able to say that you meet those? Are you willing to let your will either come second or not come at all if it means that the will of God can actually be done? because I believe that's absolutely necessary in loving God. Okay, the second thing I wanna share with you today, a love for people is secondary to a love for God. Okay, I think if, if there's anything that the average bear, in, at least in our country, knows about Christianity, it's that Jesus teaches to love your neighbor, right? How many times is that gonna get thrown at the church? Like, well, you're not supposed to do this, you're not supposed to say that because you're supposed to love your neighbor, right? It's a good thing that people know that, I'm personally of the mind that they don't necessarily understand the full ins and outs of that, but that's beside the point. But it is a hard teaching. It is an important teaching. But what often goes completely missed when people say this is the fact that love your neighbor as yourself is packaged together by Jesus with another commandment. Look at this from Jesus's life and teaching. This is in Mark 12. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered. Now I want to pause here and just say, Jesus could only say one thing first, okay? And he, he does this on purpose, I believe. The, the, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Okay? So while it's kind of convenient, while it's marketable to say love your neighbor as yourself, it's considerably less marketable to say that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. But Jesus says straight up which one's most important. He's not mincing words. To love God is the most important thing. To love people is important. It's so important that Jesus put it in the same package, okay? But make no mistake, 
Loving God is the single greatest commandment. Picture it like this, if you will. In your family, it is important to love your spouse and it is important to love your children. But your marriage is the greater priority. Okay? As you love your spouse, you create a home, an environment in which your children can flourish. You, you, you model respect for your spouse. You, you see healthy relationships modeled. You, you set them up for success in the process. You love your children by loving your spouse. You love your children because they're an extension not only of you, but also of your spouse, whom you also love. And then when the day comes out that the kids move out, guess what? You have a good marriage to fall back on. Isn't that great? Okay? Of course, it is possible to love your children without loving your spouse. But then what happens is that you leave the door open, whether intentionally or not, to, to, uh, to pitting them against the other parent. What happens a lot of times is kids get older and one of you starts to go to the kids and you complain about the other spouse. And then they have a choice right then and there, which one they're going to side with. They can say, I'm so tired of hearing from you about this, blah, 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 all down the line. And you don't have a strong marriage to fall back on if you have a marriage at all. You only have your kids. And your kids, whether you like it or not, are not covenantally obliged to love you. So in the same way, we have to rightly order our love for God and our love for people. In the same way that you would support and back your spouse in, the, in issues of, of household rules and discipline and things like that, you and I, as followers of Jesus, are, are supposed to, we side with God over these sorts of things. We don't side with people. Okay, we don't side with culture. Just because people think something's mean doesn't mean we get to say, okay, well, in the interest of loving my neighbor, I'm going to back off on that because that is going against what God told you to do. Okay, as a side note, sometime sit down and read 1 Corinthians 5. And I, I did not see this, this, um, this chapter, this, this passage, this idea for a very long time of being a Christian. And then one day someone taught it to me and it just kind of stuck out to me and it's been there ever since. But as you read through 1 Corinthians 5, you see that Paul actually instructs the church to judge those on the inside. In other words, we are responsible for judging each other. Not in like a mean way, but like in a way where I say, okay, your behavior does not line up with what Jesus commanded. It does not line up with what Jesus wants from a follower. So there's a place where we have a responsibility to judge and to correct each other. And then you also see that Paul says, leave the outsiders to God. Don't worry about judging the outsiders. Take care of what's on the inside. Take care of what's inside the house. And we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today, but I want you to think about that and what that means. Okay? In the same way that, that your love for your spouse overflows in, into your children, your love for God leads you to loving people because people are made in God's image. I don't love my neighbor just because I'm told to love my neighbor. Okay? I love my neighbor because my neighbor is made in God's image and I love God. So out of that, I'm going to love my neighbor. There's a big difference, although it may look really, really subtle. There's a big difference between Christianity and humanism. And I'm not going to get into the philosophy of that and stuff like that because I'm unqualified to do so. But humanism puts all the value on human. Humans are great. Unconditional positive regard, that sort of thing. But, but Christianity puts the value on God. So you've got two ideologies that encourage you to love and honor 
people, but for totally different reasons because humanism puts all the value just on humans. Christianity says the value is in God who made the person and then told me to love them. And in my efforts to love God, I'm going to love people. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So understand that we, as a church, we're aiming to love God. We, we, want, to, we want to worship him. We want to preach his word. We want to make a big, big deal about Jesus. And in the process of that, we will necessarily serve people because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And Jesus, as he was living on this earth, told us to feed people. He told us to clothe people. He told us to take care of people. He told us to heal the sick. So if loving Jesus means keeping his commandment, then it follows that one of the marks of loving God is loving people. Okay, this may be a slogan for, for a very long time. I've noticed it, especially becoming prominent in the last few years. But as you go into churches around America, it's a very popular thing to hear. Well, we exist to love God and to love people. And that's great. I'm not trying to like throw that out entirely. But if it were up to me, if I may be so bold, I just want to change that by one little word. Okay, I, instead of saying we want to love God and love people, I just want to say we want to love God by loving people because the emphasis is on God. The value is on God. On the other hand, I don't just love God by, by reading my Bible a lot and by praying a lot and fasting and doing all the personal spiritual disciplines because personally, and I do mean personally because I understand that I'm not, I'm not everybody, okay? But personally, I find it a lot easier to find the time and the, the, the discipline to read my Bible over the course of a year than I do to sit down and to feed somebody who needs to be fed. Or it's easier for me to say, okay, I'm going to fast today than it is for me to go seek somebody out, lay my hands on them and say, can I pray for you right now? But they're both important. Okay? God tell, t told me, tells us to serve people. And I want to do what God commanded because I love God. And I'm interested in loving God. And so that is why I love people. Number three, the last thing I want to share with you today. You were made for God, not the other way around. Okay, I think in order for us to be able to truly, authentically, genuinely say, whom have I in heaven but you? There's none that I desire beside you. I could not ask for more than you. We have to come to the realization that we were made for God. We were not created because God was desperate for company, okay? God was already three in one. He was already Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together, enjoying each other in divine community. God didn't create us because he needed somebody to do his heavy lifting. God created us to enjoy him and to be in relationship with him. God did not tell Adam and Eve in the garden, what do you want to do? He told them what he wanted them to to do. He had a job for them. He had a purpose for them and he gave it to them. He did not leave that up to them. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he did not say, what do you guys think you should do? He said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go. I want you to preach. I want you to baptize. I want you to make disciples. That is your purpose. We receive our purpose from God. So when we follow Jesus, we walk in this tension that we're invited into abundant life. We're invited to ask. Man, ask God for stupid things, at like, like stupid good, like stupid crazy. Ask him for those things. Understand that he is not obligated to give them to you and that your worship is not dependent on whether or not he says yes. 
Because the tension of the situation is that we're also called to surrender. We don't get to call the shots. We don't get to say what God should and should not do. Okay, Paul writes to the Colossian church in Colossians 1. He says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, you and me, we were created for Jesus. Around the vineyard, uh, we have a handful of of little mottos and slogans, and I love them because that's just like somehow just being able to condense these ideas into little slogans is really beneficial for me. You'll hear us say things like, everybody gets to play. You'll hear us say things like the radical middle, and some of you know that I can't get it through a conversation without saying that because I just love that idea. We say things like, come Holy Spirit. We say things like, the main and the plain, but if you're around vineyard people, you might hear a quote uh, once from, from a leader in the vineyard. And it's simply this. He said, I'm just loose change in Jesus's pocket. He can spend me however he wants. I love that. I think that's such a, a great idea. And it just sums up so much truth in one little nugget. Because on one hand, you do have value. Okay? Change is not without value. If I have a quarter, I mean, back in the day anyway, because, you know, prices are going up. But back in the day, if I had a quarter, I could just throw it into the pop machine at Walmart and get myself a soda. It was great. So, so the change can achieve something. Okay, there is value to it. However, I am completely at the whims of God. He can spend me however he wants, however he sees fit. If he, if he calls me into missions, man, I got to go. If he tells me to stay here, I got to stay. If he tells me to go out into the workforce, I got to go out into the workforce. If he tells me to, to be in the ministry, I got to be in the ministry. I have to go where God tells me to go. I'm just loose change in his pocket. He can spend me however he wants. I don't know about you, but I really want to be able to say that and for it to be absolutely true. I really hope that when God looks at me, he says, yeah, that Jeff guy, he's willing to do whatever I tell him to do. When I told him to go do this, he went and did it. When I, when I told him to do that, he went and did it. He didn't ask me loads and loads of questions. He just went, he just obeyed. I want that to be said about me. I want that to be true about me. So what about you? What's your relationship like with Jesus? Are you trying to call the shots? Are you trying to let him be Lord? Is he supplemental to you? Does he exist in his own little compartment? This this little part of your life that you do on Sunday mornings and maybe on a Wednesday night or maybe somewhere where you serve or something like that? Or is he Lord of your entire life? From the moment you wake up to when you go to work to when you come home with your family or spend time on your own, is Jesus Lord? I'm of the mind that you and I were made for God Not because I think that, but because scripture tells me that. And that means that we need to come to a place where we can say authentically, I couldn't ask for more. Everything that God is to me, I couldn't ask for more. I don't want to put anything else in front of him, above him, in replacement of him. I don't want that. I want God to be all in all for me. And so as as we proceed forward this morning, we're going to sing a final song. And um, I was thinking about this this morning because... 
what I personally struggle with is figuring out how to end these things. You know, it's like, what, what, what does God want to say? What does God want to do? And I don't know. So I was listening this morning and I was trying to figure out what is it that the Holy Spirit's saying? And I just got the word realignment. Somebody said to me after first service, uh, it's necessary because our cars hit bump in, bumps in the road. And I said, I'm going to use that and I'm using it now. Okay. But I'm just getting this sense that, that as you and I go through life, there are things we experience. There are good things we experience. There are bad things we experience, but we just get a little bit out of whack. The things that we care about, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our, our energy and our emotions, things are just out of whack. And as I, as I thought through this message and everything that God wanted to say, I just sensed things just need to be put in the right order and in the right direction. And so that's what I wanna share with you this morning. I don't want to do God's stuff for my reasons. I don't want to do God's stuff just to make a name for myself, just so people look up to me, just to respect me, whatever. And I don't want to do my stuff and put it under the guise of, of God's stuff. I don't want to ask God to bless and sanction whatever it is that I do. I want to go where he's going and I want to follow where he's leading. So in, as you think about your life, as you consider your life, is your will in opposition to his or is it in submission to his? That's a big question that you and I have to wrestle with. And so there's that word realignment. I don't necessarily know what to do with it, but it's what's on my mind. And so I want to encourage you as we're singing this final song, we have people up here that are ready and willing to pray with you. They're up here because they want to pray with you. And I don't want you to miss that opportunity. I don't want you to go about the rest of your week saying, man, I really wish I'd taken the minute it took to, to walk up and have somebody lay their hands on me and receive some encouragement from the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't miss that opportunity if you're facing something coming up. If there's something that you don't know how to handle or you don't think you can handle, don't miss the opportunity to get someone to pray with you this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you this morning. God, we just want to recognize that we are made for you. God, we want to recognize that we don't call the shots. We want to recognize that we're just changing your pockets and you can spend us however it is that you want. Father, we ask for your help because life sometimes is really difficult and the way that we want to respond to life is not always in keeping with the way that you want us to respond to the world around us. So Father, we ask that you help us by the power of the, the, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Help us to be in tune with what it is that you're doing. God, forgive us our sins. Forgive us the times that we have taken it into our own hands. Forgive us the times that we think that we know best. Forgive us the times that we think we can get away with just a little bit more when you're telling us that you want us to stop and you want us to turn the other way and come after you. Forgive us for those times, Father. Thank you, God, that in the person of Jesus, we have forgiveness because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf, dying in our place and for our sins. God, that you have made a way for us to access your presence at all times, that there's no special place that we have to go. There's no special prayer that we have to pray. We can just say, Lord, I'm here. I need you. Would you speak to me? And Father, we ask this morning you would be speaking to our hearts. God, we ask that you would give us encouragement where we need it. We ask that you would give us direction where we need it. We ask that you would give us correction where we need it. 
We're just the people who needs you, God. We have come here this morning to meet with you. We've come here to talk to you. We've come here to, to hear from you and to seek your will for our lives. So won't you come this morning, Holy Spirit? Won't you come and fall and rest in this place? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I wanna invite you to stand up to your feet as we sing this last song. Don't miss your opportunity to receive prayer.